0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Food Institute podcast. This week, we welcome Mission Plant Founder and Managing Director David Benzaquin to the show, and we're going to be talking about all things plant-based with a focus on emerging product types and the current investment environment for companies that are operating in that plant-based space. But before we get started, I just want to remind you all to like, follow, subscribe, and share. I can't overstate how important it is to our growth. Word of mouth is still the best way for us to grow. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. And with that all the way, I'll welcome David to the show, and I'll open up with just asking him how he's doing. So how are you today, David?
1: Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here and to talk about this important topic.
0: And I would agree. So I think the best place to start, you know, I did note that you were the founding, or sorry, founder and managing director of Mission Plant, but I think that's selling you a little bit short. So I was hoping you could share a little bit about your background and how you kind of came to your current place in the plant-based food industry.
1: Sure. So I've spent my whole career in the industry as a consumer, actually, before, long before the industry. Uh, I've been plant-based as a consumer for 21 years, and I came to this uh, movement or industry, whatever we want to call it through a passion for the ability of any person to make a massive impact on the planet, on health and on animals with uh, simple dietary choices with, you know, whether or not somebody chooses to eat this way all the time, like I do. I love that every time you sit down to eat, every time you shop, you can choose things that make a difference. And that really empowered me at a young age and excited me. And so after a few years of working in uh, environmental animal and health advocacy work, In 2010, I switched into the industry and I launched a firm called Plant-Based Solutions doing brand management and strategy consulting for plant-based CPG companies. I had that firm for nine years and worked with over 150 companies on go-to-market strategies, branding, sales and distribution strategy, etc., and sold that in 2019 to focus full-time on my own food startup. Uh, called Ocean Hugger Foods, which uh, makes plant-based seafood alternatives to sell in food service. Uh, I recently sold that business, and so now I am focused on consulting again. I am investing in other companies, and I've also launched uh, launched but don't operate a consumer insights firm to focus on this plant-based sector, And in two weeks, I will launch a new e-commerce grocery platform specializing in plant-based products.
0: So like I said, I thought I undersold you a little bit in that intro, and I think I was right. And I think we can probably touch on all four of those aspects, but where I'd really like to start, I think, is with Mission Plant. So I think what I'd like to do here is just kind of get your thoughts and maybe you can explain what you are aiming to accomplish with this investment company and something of the mission statement when it comes to Mission Plant. So could you share that with us?
1: Absolutely. So, I've spent the last 11 years, as I mentioned, working with hundreds of companies as an investor, consultant, and entrepreneur myself. And in that time, I've identified product categories that I think could use some real innovation and growth uh, in terms of opportunities like beyond burgers and milks. I've identified services that could really benefit the industry. So, I've found that uh, I was unable to achieve certain things or was unable to be as successful as I could have for my clients or for my own business because I didn't have access to things like a good e-commerce distribution model or good consumer insights. And so the companies that I'm investing in and that I am supporting are businesses that I think are identifying white spaces in products and in the infrastructures that are needed to enable the scaling of this industry. And my goal is to take my experience and uh, be very, very, honed in on identifying the most uh, precision opportunities to have an impact in that way.
0: And I think one of the things we can talk about here too, in the past few years, plant-based foods have really come into their own. And I know you mentioned that a little bit and kind of your history and how that history tracks with the growing popularity of plant-based foods. So I think from your seat, can you describe the overall investment sphere for those products today and maybe compare it to a few years ago before the craze really took off and kind of take a look into your history and just some of your experience with the investment side of things? You know, what's the current sphere looking like?
1: Sure. So absolutely, excitement for this category has skyrocketed, and really it's driven by consumer demand. The fact is, uh, most people would think that because the population of vegetarians is not huge that the category may not be so big, but it's quite the opposite, where vegetarians and vegans collectively make up approximately 7% of the United States population, over 40% of Americans are consuming plant-based alternatives to meat, dairy, or eggs at least once every 90 days. And so we're talking about a huge percentage of the population, nearly half the country says they want to reduce their animal protein intake, and so the demand is astronomical. And that's why we're seeing so much growth in innovation and in new company launches and why we're seeing investors go crazy, whether in the public or private markets. In terms of the growth there, we are seeing a real renaissance and a real revolution in how how investors think about the food sector because, you know, in some ways, food as a sector has to be so mature because everybody has always been eating. Yes, the population is growing, And unfortunately, sometimes we're eating more than we used to, but overall it's growing at a pretty standard rate. However, within the food that we're eating, the shifts are so astronomical. And with investors understanding that our current system is inefficient and is volatile and vulnerable to health outbreaks and to uh, sustainability challenges that could really create crises for our current system, they are investing in long-term solutions that can feed our growing population in a safe and healthy way. And so that's leading to the massive shift.
0: And I guess when it comes to your approach to valuation, how do you think that compares to the overall industry's approach? You know, I think one of the things here that you're noting is that there's a lot of new brands, but with new brands, you don't have a lot of history. So it can make it a little bit difficult to give them a valuation, especially when you're looking to invest. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your process there and some of the things that you look at when you look at some of these emerging brands that might be able to take the next step.
1: Sure. So I am, uh, I should expre- speak to the fact that I'm a very early stage investor and that I focus on uh, companies that are often even pre launch or, or very early in the market. And I, I hope to act as sort of a, a validating first or, you know, first round check to uh, give a company an opportunity to make it and to. Uh, signal to future larger investors that these companies are de-risked by my involvement in others. Um, When it comes to where I place my bets, I really look at categories that uh, that are underserviced. So product categories where I think the consumer demand significantly outpaces the availability of products satisfying that demand. So, I'll give you one example. Um, I'm an investor and advisor to a company that's launching a chickpea based yogurt called CHKP Foods. And the reason I looked at that category is because in the consumer research I've done, 30% of American households purchased at least one non dairy yogurt last year. But the percentage of yogurts that are non dairy purchased in this country is less than 3%. And when you ask consumers why that is, it's because they overwhelmingly want to find products that satisfy them. They are very open minded and interested and excited to give non-dairy a chance because they've already done so and have been very thrilled to do so with milks, but they just haven't been satisfied with offerings yet. So I see that as a category that has a major delta between demand and supply, and I find that to be a big opportunity. Secondly, I look at team. Uh, That seems so simple. I'm not just looking at a team in terms of experience, but also really looking at a team in terms of, because of the early stages I'm investing in, a team in terms of um, how nimble they are and how humble they are and how willing they are to understand the market and its feedback in terms of whether the channel they go into or the products they go into are appropriate. And uh, lastly, I think that when I'm looking at companies personally, I'm not as focused on intellectual property and heavy tech that doesn't mean that it's not a worthy consideration. The reason I don't look at heavily as heavily at that that area is because one, I'm not a legal expert or a scientist or somebody who can as effectively assess the strength of IP from a legal's perspective or from uh, the perspective of assessing the science and the and the value of it. Um, I also am a big believer that. Food is not about technology. It takes a lot of technology to maybe make certain foods, and I think that's fantastic. But ultimately, the success of a food company will depend on its ability to attract consumers and trade partners to distribute, purchase, and consume the products and to manufacture them safely, at scale, efficiently. And so I'm interested in beyond what can you do to develop that first prototype. I want to know, can you manufacture it at scale with healthy margins? Can you distribute it? And is it something that people actually want to eat and put in their stores and menus?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things I'd like to respond to there. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. At the end of the day, I would imagine most products rely on some sort of consumer sentiment and attachment, but food especially has a very special place in cultures, Across the world and especially in American culture, so unless you can get customers really riled up and you know looking for that product and want to have that connection with it, I think you're going to have trouble. And I think that plays into the next question. You know, you brought up that yogurt based dairy product. The uh, sorry, the chickpea based yogurt product. And I think that's a little bit different than what most people think of when they think of plant-based foods. Obviously, you know, ground beef analogs have come and gone over the last couple of years. Uh, Almond milk and other types of alternative milks have also been very popular. So I guess my question is, what kind of product categories do you see as the most ripe for disruption right now by plant-based alternatives? Is there a specific product category you're looking at?
1: In general, I'd say... Uh, every category is right before disruption because I believe the trajectory and the, and the categories we're seeing, the, the growth rates we're seeing among every category, even those that are seen as very mature, like burgers and milk, are you know astronomical. And, and the volatility in them is great. So you see the success of Oatly or you see the shift in what ingredients people are seeking in each of these categories. There's still tons of opportunity everywhere. But I'm personally looking at categories outside of those two areas. I'm very interested in things like uh, deli meats and I've invested or have uh, partnered with the company accordingly. I'm very interested in whole cut meats like steaks, um, looking at categories that one might not think of like pet food where there's huge opportunity um, and also at ways to improve and bacon and pork products and also at ways to improve existing products. So I have one company that's doing technological work to develop uh, better tasting plant-based cheeses, or or better melting plant-based cheeses, I should say. So, I'd say cheeses, deli meats, seafood, um, you know, non-milk dairy products, uh, bacon, pet food. These are all categories that I'm
0: really excited about. Pet food's an interesting one to me. You know, at the Food Institute, we've really seen this pet humanization trend take off, especially during the pandemic, but that's not one line that I kind of connected there, those two dots. So maybe you could tell me a little bit more about plant-based pet food. You're seeing any kind of consumer demand for that?
1: Absolutely. So I'm an investor, a seed investor in a company called the Bramble, which one can see at bramblepets.com. It's the first to market company doing direct-to-consumer uh, fresh plant-based pet food. So it's kind of a, it is a plant-based version of what you'd see from a company like Farmer's Dog or Fresh Pet or Ollie. And if you look at, uh, um, if you look at consumers today, a huge percentage of millennial and Gen Z consumers have opted to start producing, cooking their own dog food for their dogs because they recognize that a lot of the products that are out there are extremely unhealthy. Things like kibble that are sprayed with all kinds of nasty chemicals and the canned foods that have BPA leaching into them and everything. The fact is cancer rates among dogs and cats have been growing at outrageous rates much faster than humans. And that's because of the stuff we're feeding them. And so to this company, Bramble has recognized that the research shows A, that plant-based dog food is extremely healthy. The longest living dog, according to the Guinness Book of World Record, is named Bramble. That's how the company came to find its name. And that dog lived entirely on a plant-based diet. And uh, B, that fresh food that uses whole ingredients is the safest and healthiest way to eat, just like it is for people. And so rather than having people have to produce their own food from scratch at home, this company is one that is solving that problem through convenience by shipping fresh food every week to homes. And so I'm super excited. You see the success of that category in non-plant-based areas. Huge, huge growth for those companies, and I think this is the next generation of that. To say, you know, the the um, if you really want to get health for pets where it needs to go, this is a way to take the best of fresh and plant-based together.
0: That's really interesting. Um, And I'd like to pull it back in. You know, I think we could probably spend a lot of time talking about pet food as well, but I would like to kind of bring it back into the human side of food consumption. I think this is a good spot maybe to talk a little bit about Moonshot Collaborative. And I think you said earlier, it's a company that helps brands test their products with plant-based consumers. And I know you founded it, but aren't totally necessarily involved in the day-to-day operations, but I'm hoping we can leverage some of your expertise here. And I guess the first question I have is just, what can you tell me about a typical plant-based consumer? I know you talked earlier that it's not necessarily just a vegetarian or vegan. So I was hoping you can kind of get us into the mindset of what most plant-based consumers look like.
1: Absolutely. So plant-based consumers are about uh, 60 to 40 female to male. Uh, They are uh, you know, about half of them are millennials or Gen Y, with the, the other generations being about equally split, split. So Gen X is about 23% vegetarian. Gen Z and boomers are both around 15%. Uh, and so you see a, a, a decent concentration around millennials. Uh, in terms of income, it's actually quite split. Uh, the largest segment is people who make an annual income of between $25,000 and $60,000 a year with 45% of plant-based eaters falling into that bucket, 45% of, uh, falls above uh, $60,000 in annual income, and about 10% at below $25,000 in annual income. Uh, in terms of other demographic makeup, um, percentage-wise... Uh, about 75, this is in America, about 75% of plant-based consumers are Caucasian, but uh, but per capita, by category, other ethnic groups are just as likely or more so to be plant-based consumers. And um, geographically, you know, one would assume that you'd see huge concentrations or or much larger concentrations on the coasts or in more blue leaning states. But the reality is it's not like that at all. In fact, of the population we've identified of plant-based consumers being those that eat plant-based products at least once every 90 days, uh, there is a largest segment actually in the South with 35% of the population in the South, 25% in the West, 21% in the Midwest, and only 19% in the Northeast. So it uh, doesn't follow what people typically assume. And also politically, we find nearly an equal split between people who identify as liberal or conservative or Republican or Democrat to be eating plant-based products. So motivations for these things are much broader than people think. And the number one motivation in terms of values for people to choose plant-based products is health.
0: And when people are looking for these new products that have some kind of health benefit, you know, what categories are they mostly turning to? Do you find that most people enter plant-based by going through that, you know, ground beef analog or that burger analog, maybe almond milk, or is it someone that's looking for a product that's a little bit more specific? You know, how do people get involved in plant-based eating?
1: Yes, certainly the first entree is usually through non-dairy milks. So of all the fluid milk in the U.S., about 15% comes from non-dairy sources. So for every 100 glasses of milk, 15 are from almonds or oats or soy or whatever. And that is significantly higher than other categories. In burgers, only about 1% of burgers sold in the U.S. are plant-based. In other categories, it's between a fraction of a percent and up to 3% of a category. So certainly everybody knows uh, in that, that either they or people immediately around them occasionally have an almond milk latte or something of that sort. And so I'd say that's the category that people most commonly enter through. And uh, burgers, because of the popularity in recent years, are certainly another one that's popular.
0: So we kind of touched on one half of this question in the last set of questions when we were talking about the things you invest in. But I'm wondering if you have any information on Product categories plant based consumers are really looking for products in right now that they might not find a suitable alternative. So, I'm talking, you know, seafood, um, you know, poultry, I think is one, maybe even bacon, as you said earlier. Is there any specific product types that you're finding consumers are really looking for a plant based alternative in right now?
1: Yeah. So, I'd say that every category, and the reason I say that is because in the research we've done, like I mentioned with yogurt before, consumers are just, not as satisfied as they could be with current products and they keep on getting better and so more and more consumers are turning to this so while values-based motivations for eating more plant-based like health or sustainability or even animal welfare may be a driver really bottom line is the vast majority of consumers are still going to make decisions on what to purchase and what to consume based on price taste and access or convenience and that's why we see such growth in categories where we've seen the biggest shifts there and the biggest improvements there. So as innovation continues with the demand growing, as more money pumps into the space, and as we study and develop new plants for uses in these products, we are continuously improving on the taste, the texture, the nutrition, the functionality, and the appearance, aroma, smell, everything, uh, look, everything of all these products. And so every day we're getting better and better. The nice thing is that plant-based sources are endless and between aquatic plants and land plants, pulses, you know, seeds, fruits, nuts, everything, they are endless. And so the potential for versatile applications and solutions is amazing. Whereas animal-based sources can't change much. You can't change a cow, but you certainly can choose a different crop
0: and i think one of the things i want to talk about a little bit here too i know david you said you're also a consultant in the space you already brought up chkp foods and that chickpea based yogurt that they're making uh plant craft which is a plant-based deli meat company you said in prior talks that you've consulted with and then even uh juicy marbles which is a plant-based filet mignon maker So all these companies seem to stray from that typical ground beef replacement we were talking about and seem to have a lot of opportunity and definitely items I think consumers would be interested in. So I was wondering if you could describe each a bit and just kind of how these products tend to fare with consumer sentiment when they are uh, introduced to them. And you could also expand this to any other company you may have consulted with. But I'm just kind of wondering, you know, in talking to these companies that are creating these emerging plant-based products, you know, how do consumers react when they actually finally get a taste of, you know, say a plant-based filet mignon steak?
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'll take those in order. So as I mentioned, CHKP Foods making chickpea-based dairy products like yogurt and cream cheese. um, They are pre-market, but we have tested them with uh, buyers and consumers. And the sentiment, the reaction has been fantastic. Um, I personally was swayed to work with all of these different brands and products based on not only liking the people, but really loving the products because I'm very, very particular about what I will invest in or partner with. Uh I'm fortunate enough to be able to uh, choose the projects that I get involved in. And because I believe that companies will only be successful if they have fantastic products, I choose things that way. So I was very excited by their yogurts and cream cheese and other products. And that's why I got involved there. Uh, that company is based in Israel, but will be launching in the U.S. in the next six months or so with these fantastic products. And, and I'm super excited about them. Chickpeas are Renowned as an incredibly sustainable, healthy, and uh, commonplace uh, crop that everybody incorporates into their diets from Southeast Asia to Europe to North America. People are used to them and they're neutral in taste. And so people are very open and excited about that crop. Um, when it comes to Plant Craft, which is a plant based deli meat company that I work with, this company is unbelievable. <clears throat> they've taken the most nutritious ingredients like uh, flaxseed flour and green banana flour. Flaxseed, of course, is extremely rich in omegas and omega fatty acids. Uh, Green banana flour is one of the world's highest prebiotics because it's extremely resistant starch. Uh, Grape seed oil, which is upcycled from wine production. So they have these incredible sustainable and nutritious ingredients that they've used to make really delicious, clean label, entirely allergen-free deli meats. Uh, they've launched with pâtés. Next up are pepperoni and sausages, ham, salami, bologna, etc. cetera, are all on the horizon. So I'm very excited about what they're doing. That company has just launched in Southern California and in Chicago and is expanding now. Um, lastly, Juicy Marbles. So this company is out of Slovenia. and. Uh, Having graduated recently from the Y Combinator, they've developed a new technology to make unbelievable whole-cut meats that incorporate uh, fat marbling and um, the protein muscular texture into one big piece of meat. Previously, we see most meat alternatives come from Uh, a base of ground that is then amassed into something like a burger or a sausage or a meatball or even just ground or crumbles. This team has enabled the launch of a whole cut meat, which is new to market. They'll be launching very soon. They did do a beta online and an unbelievable uh, response to the product. And it got me super excited to get involved. So I can't wait to launch that product. It'll be a game changer to open people's minds to the fact that you can have an entire steak made from plants in a much more sustainable and healthy way.
0: Yeah, what a time to be alive. You can get a filet mignon made out of plants. It's kind of incredible to me to see how this category has grown. Like you said, from that, I don't want to say simple because it obviously takes time, research, effort to put these plant-based products together, but at a consumer level, seeing something like a ground beef analog, you're probably just like, you know, okay, this is put together and it's pretty common. And now I'm used to it, but to see something as intricate as a filet mignon being recreated via plant-based, you know, materials, really, really interesting stuff. And not to say anything about the others too, because I think, you know, plant-based deli meats definitely have a place. And I think people will be interested in those, especially, you know, back to school and everything right now, a lot of parents might be looking for, you know, some kind of plant-based option for their kids. And also we kind of talked a decent amount about CHKP foods as well. And those chickpea based yogurts and, you know, cream cheeses, but definitely, you know, at least in my mind, there's a lot of opportunity among consumers for these types of products. For sure. And I think the last thing we can talk about here today, uh, you did mention it at the beginning, and depending on when we release it, you know, we'll get a better date when we talk about this right now, but you said in two weeks you'll be launching Plant Belly, which is an e-commerce grocery store and consumer subscription store. So I was just wondering what you could tell us about this project.
1: Plant Belly is an e-commerce grocery platform uh, selling curated plant-based products throughout the United States with next day or maximum two day guaranteed shipping. And it's your weekly grocery stop for everything plant-based. We aim to be a source of discovery and excitement for anybody who's looking to incorporate more plant-based foods into their diet and really to make that accessible. And when you come to the site, you can know that the products that are there have been heavily vetted to be only the best products. And I take that very seriously. We will not put anything on the website that we're not personally fond of and proud of and that we don't feel represents the most delicious wonderful experience in plant-based and so it's a great way to get a uh curated journey where you don't have to spend time wondering what you're going to try if you do want to try the most exciting new products with a monthly subscription box uh, for discovery where you can try things that aren't even available always in your stores and so it's a really exciting project Uh, That I I can't wait to share with the world. And uh, we're at plantbelly.com. And we'd love for people to come and check it out.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the things consumers might be asking is what's going to be in that subscription box? What can they kind of expect on a monthly basis if they sign up for that? What kind of products, you know, would you say? Is it more like a meal kit, just individual items getting shipped? You know, how is that handled?
1: Sure. So we have different box options. One thing you can do, first of all, is you can create uh, a subscription box of your own. So if you have particular products that you want to see in a repeated fashion, you can always sign up to get a subscription of products um, of groceries that you like. But our surprise discovery box uh, will have one for refrigerated and frozen products, which would include things like the hottest new plant-based cheeses, frozen desserts, um, meat alternatives, etc. And we'll have another one for shelf-stable products, which will be a little bit lower cost and give you access to all kinds of delicious snacks or other shelf stable items. And we're also going to have a great produce box, which will uh, enable people to uh, play with new vegetables and fruits and get access to all of your grocery needs in one place.
0: It's really exciting stuff. And for people that want to follow plant belly, you know, I think you already said the website, but do you have any social media accounts or anything people could follow that way? They can kind of keep up to date and find out when you're launching.
1: The best place to find everything would be at plantsbelly.com.
0: All right. Perfect. And anything else that you would like to share with us? I know you're a very busy man. You got a lot of different projects, but anything else going on in the uh, latter half of 2021 that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: I appreciate it. The great opportunity to be here. Um, Just thankful for being able to share all of this. I I think this, this category, the plant-based space is growing astronomically. It's a super exciting time And I think for all your listeners, no matter what your current role in the industry is or what your hopes are, if you want to get involved in an exciting category and use your skills to make an impact, this is a really exciting and great place to be.
0: Well, awesome, David. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, Listeners, you can take a look in the description of this episode for a smorgasbord of links to a bunch of different products that we talked about today. And you can learn a little bit more about David and what he's doing in the plant-based space. But I think that wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. So once again, I'd like to thank David for his time today. And remember, if you are new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. And if you're an avid listener, please just like and share as well. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off.